0: Through conversations, our goal is to share and explore mind body paradigms to offer empowerment possibilities.
1: It was such a pleasure to be in conversation today with Karen McHose. Karen has taught perceptual approaches to movement education for over 50 years. She's a movement artist, certified advanced Rolfer and Rolf movement practitioner, as well as a somatic experiencing practitioner and certified biodynamic cranial practitioner. She's a collaborator for Body Stories, A Guide to Experiential Anatomy, and The Place of Dance by Andrea Olson, and is the co-author, with Kevin Fring, of How Life Moves, Explorations in Meaning and Body Awareness, of which we post a link to on this page. In today's conversation, we spoke about Karen's origins into the world of dance, movement, somatics, and eventually structural integration. We hear her views on perceptual awareness, different ways and styles of learning, evolutionary movements, meeting people where we perceive them to be, a lived experience somatically, being in safe and supported experiences which nourish our nervous systems, and more. It was a really exciting talk for all three of us, and we hope you enjoy it. So with that, let's begin our talk.
2: Hi Nikki. Hi Andrew.
1: Hi Karen. Nice to see
2: you again. Good, good.
3: Nice to see you too. I'll say that I'm I'm really excited to to be in and talks with you, Karen, because I've had the fortune of studying uh underneath you and it was one of the uh probably most helpful things I've done in my bodywork practice, but also I think in my in my personal life it is sort of uh there was just so much um so much I got out of it, which I wouldn't even begin to be able to describe because the words would not even do justice. But that being said, I'm really excited to have you on and to share you and your wealth of knowledge uh, with others. Um, so thank you.
2: Thank you for that. And um, I'm delighted to, to have the, the adventure of seeing what happens in the flow of this conversation.
3: Yeah, same. Same. And I'm I'm actually well just I'm noticing in myself that, that like a lot of excitement and also like, oh, which way are we going to go? And, and having to just keep stepping it back, calming down and saying, well, wherever it's going to flow is where it's going to flow. So let's get out of my little monkey mind into the floor uh, and 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 let's talk. <laughs> um, so it, there's a lot that we can talk about. We we, we had some pre ideas. You know, one sort of uh, would be sort of what brought you to this place. Um, but what I'm I guess what I'm sort of curious is: is there anything in particular that you're called to to talk about to to start with, to grow from, or anything like that?
2: I think um, from what I'm drawn to because it's what I'm drawn to in my life now um, is to trust that um, something will emerge from not my trying to jockey with all the excitement and the wondering how it's going to go and all of those ah or ah moments that um, as I was taking a, a little walk that it always feels like a blessing when what arises from the meeting and connecting to people and that I don't have to know. (laughs) And and that um, the emergent form will come through our collaborative inquiry and sharing. And then I feel that it's coming from this, pretty vast, vast um, world, inner world and outer world, but then from the particularity of my journey through it and how I've made relationship to living and to this work and to movement. And at this point, I really wanna trust all those um, biological years I've been here to assemble themselves in some way that is appropriate for this moment of meeting. <laughs> well,
0: I'll gladly poke at the emergent. Um, I, You and I, this is the first time we've met virtually, but I have um, heard of you, I've known of you for quite some time. I did my... I've been certified for almost 20 years and I was fortunate enough to be able to take advantage of the dual certification that was offered in Brazil. Aha. Uh-huh. So your name has always come up in the movement education and I just actually did a deep dive with um Rebecca and Eileen in with studying tonic function and G prime and their influence with Hubert, Hubert and I um I'm just because I'm because you've always like, I feel like your knowledge is constantly being dropped in, in all the little places I've been in my Mm -hmm. Rolf movement journey. Mm -hmm. I'm really curious of what, what was your first like, aha or inspiration to start diving into. Maybe it wasn't Rolf movement for some kind of somatic inquiry. Like where did this bud start for you and how is it blossoming
2: yeah i i i know those moments very well um i i was a dancer and i started movement education you could say or studying um, modern dance creative dance when i was five and um i was taken to the class because I was very um, withdrawn um, in terms of, and my mother said that I seemed kind of clumsy to her. And um, so, she thought dance would help. And I had the good fortune, um, I was living in Pennsylvania in State College. And there was an amazing dance teacher there who I remember the moment the doors opened to the studio as a five-year-old. And I just opened into this space of freedom and joy and um, permission to express myself without words. (laughs) And that was miraculous because words were hard for me. It's more kind of, autistic if you want to go that direction um i think i was so full of um nature my nature and the nature that i was immersed in in the farmlands of pennsylvania and um the the magic or it seemed to me then the magic of observing crawdads in the creek butterflies waving wheat fields So I studied with this person and, um, you know, till I basically was teaching for her, um, you know, went up through her school and she had this amazing arts camp in which um, she would use art styles um, to teach us composition, but the manner, she wasn't teaching us steps, even though we had our technique and so on and so forth, but she had us improvise from Different topics, and so I spent a lot of time improvising and choreographing um, on a mountainside with rocks, with cow pies, with grasses, with the cows mooing in the distance, um, with trees, climbing trees. So i I was I moved in nature very, very early, and it seemed second nature to me. Anyway, that. Um, fortune of um, not only studying, back then they had things like recordings from all over the world of archaic or um, different cultures. And we used to read about the cultures and discuss them. And then we would start improvising or choreographing from from that perspective. But it was always self-referential that she had us learn form but be informed by how we were responding to it and then assembling that into a piece or an improvisational thing. So that's always been there. And when I was 16, she told me you have to go because we had moved to Connecticut. She said, you have to start teaching now. And that was a terror for me because that meant I would have to stand up in front of people. (laughs) So the thing that I learned there is, in going through that gateway for me is after drawing thousands of classes and so on and so forth, um, that once I started moving, the words came. (laughs) So, flow happened to me from dynamic movement and my capacity to feel the joy of that movement or sharing with people how movement for me, it can allow you to feel more easy in your body, if I put it simply back from back then. So um, that's when I started teaching. And um, then uh, in my 20s. Can you, um, what, so what, yeah, maybe you're just getting yeah. there.
0: So from five, you studied intensely with this particular teacher who
2: sounds like was a great inspiration, encouraged you to start teaching. At what age was that? 16. I said when I was 16 and I had moved away from Pennsylvania and I lived in Connecticut and I started to teach at community centers and rec departments. And so um, anyway, I started on the teaching journey and um, then ended up um, with an injury. I ended up teaching at Middlebury College um, and had a injury and they said it was chondromalacia and then I'd have to have a surgery and I said eh. Anyway, I'd written to my dance teacher and she told me about this book, The Thinking Body. And I devoured that for, for five years. I got anatomy books and I started to read all the books until I remapped my entire skeletal system and muscular system and kind of learned about, oh, what's under the skin too. And because that had idiokinesis in it, I started to slow down my teaching and um, work with perception and movement. And um, that took me on a whole nother direction of actually changing my coordination in my knee joint and my leg and my whole body to create more space where um, I had a pattern going that wasn't useful. And at that time, I found the integration of the structure because in those days, in the late 70s and 80s, there were you know, just a handful of books about bodywork on the bookstore shelves. So there was Feldenkrais and Ida Rolf and um, Alexander. And I loved Ida Rolf's book, The Integration of the Structure. So I used that book to, to teach myself a way to organize perception and movement and learning about the inner map of the skeletal system and working with pre-movement, although I didn't have the word for that, but it was with the perception of that. So,
0: yeah. So, yeah, could we back up a little bit? I would love for our audience and also for my education to hear from you. Of Let's dive in a little bit of perception and movement. And what does yeah. that really mean? And how does that evoke? Intrinsic movement, pre-movement. Can we, can
2: we dive into that a little bit? Yes. No, I'm just going there in my body to answer the question. How does that
0: and why why I'm asking this too is I feel like interoception and things like that are starting. I know that's stuff that we've kind of talked about in the structural integration world and the mind-body world, but I'm starting to see and hear more of this in the in podcasts and other movements. So I think it's like catching on. It's like yeah. the buzzword, like how Stoas was a super popular anatomy at one point.
2: Right. You know, right.
0: Perception and terraception. Yeah.
2: Well, that's what happened to me was like all of a sudden when Todd was talking about idiokinesis and imagined idea of motion you know, an idea in motion, that's a perception that I could imagine first. And lo and behold, if I was present in the sensations of my body, I would notice coordination would change with some of these perceptions that were offered by her. Some of them were um, as Hubert called them, but back then she just had arrows, you know, directions a vector drawn a line with an arrow going. So there were spatial directions of out and there were spatial directions of down. And there was talk about mass. And then from Ida Rolf's, from the integration of the structure, there was the whole talking of gravity. And um, that made sense to me in terms of motion of feeling in dancing, you know, weight and space and swing. And so I started to slow down the technique I'd been teaching formal dance technique along with improvisation to work on some of the forms, plies and releves and work with the leg that you learn in formal dance training and start to use and draw in and embody in my imagination what happened if I actually felt the perception of a vector or a sense of space before I did the motion. And so, um, you know, it was it was being in touch with everything under the skin, the blood side of the skin, while I was actually um, make an action would happen in space and things really changed. But I had to slow way, way down. Did that is that something that feels understandable to you, Nikki? Yes, it does. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And Karen, I want to add on one of my experiences in in a similar regard is just now when you were waiting to answer and you were sort of feeling it. uh, I I remember, and I've talked about this with you before and with others, being in class with you, not, not cognitively understanding something, coming up to you saying, Karen, blah, blah, blah. And before you would respond with words, I would sometimes be like, oh, I got it. That there was something perceptual felt other than, and and my, my, the way that I understand it maybe is that you were feeling it in your body, however, whatever I'm asking. Yes. And then whatever, yeah. And whatever resonance of that, I somehow would pick up and would be like, oh, yeah, I got it. Thank you. Uh, And it was a very life changing, might be a bit over dramatic, but it did definitely change how I, perceive how I understand it changed entirely how I work with people
2: um, yeah. Thank you Andrew because um, I think in this in what I've spoken so far so far, I have learning differences and so speaking and school were very difficult for me and so um, having a way to slow down enough to acknowledge what's under the skin, and having the time to actually feel motion and to feel the ease that would come. And then the representation of my experience in words was not so much of a problem. It made sense for me. And so it's like that moment that, is, that I had to cross when I realized, oh, if I start to move, I can communicate to people, but I have to feel my here you know, where am I in space? And I have to feel my volume and I have to hear what my body's saying to um, then find the words to speak from there along with the representational words that name things and string words together. Mm -hmm. And that's- And for me- Yeah,
3: go uh, ahead. for, For me to add on to that, because I'm I'm very similar, uh, and I got labeled with different learning disabilities for communication. Uh, ironic that I have a podcast, and, and that there was um, there was the way what how I just heard what you said is very similar. That all of a sudden I found a different that oh I have these ways of of not being able to communicate as a quote unquote normal person, uh, yet these other ways of existing with the world, uh, and there was almost a sort of a there's nothing wrong with me, I'm just a little different, and that's okay. Um, Which was, it might sound very obvious, but yet, whatever, my inability to communicate as a quick and quote, normal person, had its own internal conflicts. And this way of being really, like, freed up a lot of that, a lot of that stuff, that guilt or whatever was there.
2: Yes, I I think it's taken me all the way to 70 to be more and more okay that this is how I am and um, also just let loose in the, in the, the um, connection to people through body talk, through body stories, through um, actually listening to people that way <laughs> and, and feeling that type of communication in myself.
0: I think just this little nugget of of us acknowledging also me too was acknowledged as a different learner. And I, you know, this is really um, relevant in my life right now. I have two young kids an eight and a five-year-old and it is, especially with my eight-year-old and especially coming out of a pandemic, a year of isolation, I homeschooled with virtual learning. And it is showing up even with my son, um, his friends like the different and it's great because and I feel very privileged in the fact that this is even being acknowledged in a public school that really respecting how different kids are learning differently and taking a moment and I think the weird mixed blessing in the pandemic it has in some ways we're like all right we got to slow down we got to take a step back we need to do a little catch-up of for whatever things that were missed in that that odd time of learning for kids and um, and just really appreciating like my my it's interesting my kid has some kind of dyslexia it's not like this classic stamp of like we're gonna for sure you have it but they're like he has a unique way of learning mm-hmm. and he's and we're doing tutoring this summer and and it's just it's fun to kind of see and witness how he learns and the tutor is really cool because it is, there's like tapping, there's use little blocks to build words. It's this whole different way. And she's telling me like, oh, this is how to review. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I might need to be tutored. (laughs) Because it's almost amazing. How did I learn how to read? But I think I learned just from memorization, it never was an embodied experience. And my son's, you know, his progression with reading is like, so much because it's a body experience not just going through flashcards and memorizing that there's a there's a rhythm and there's a pattern to be recognized in the way our language is built and um so I just I think for any parents or any adults that are listening to this just kind of recognizing that we all learn in a different way and it's not a matter of a right or wrong it's Probably just take an appreciation of and embodying the experience so there's an opportunity to learn it in a way that is authentic, excuse me, authentic to our own learning styles.
2: I'm so happy to hear that, Nikki, because that's my dream for everyone, that the different styles of learning can be appreciated, which is actually, I think, is the different styles of being alive. And it's about that connecting to the differentiation and yet communication, whatever it is, the stuff that flows between and the um, delight of being able to understand through different sensory channels that are embodied in this bag of skin we have. And I mean, I'm, I'm, it just makes me happy to hear that. I, I Um, I did not have that and so but I had dance and I had this teacher that just you know opened the door of her studio and um, I learned a lot and and then um, how to communicate the joy of movement.
0: (laughs) Which I think is now what we're talking about like our early childhoods and how we learned and the importance of embodiment. But then I think, and as you're saying this, and it, it kind of comes and goes in this fascination with the job that I have, and especially with working with movement and getting people off the table. Yes, And, you know, I work with some kids, but most of my population clientele is of adults. And it is so much is coming back to taking time, feeling And it's subtle, but it's like when they're getting off the table and finding their feet on the floor and be like, okay, before you just spring up, what does your feet feel like to the carpet? What does the carpet feel like underneath? What can you connect into the earth? Like making it very big and broad. And just those little moments of, you know, they take like, I don't know, a couple minutes at max of taking time to explore your surrounding before getting up and feeling into the structural changes that happen with you know me working on tissue and it's just it's always fun and it feels complex when especially with all the amount of education and studying and learning and all this and then when getting off the table and the clients are like oh wow I feel like how I felt when I was a kid and it's like coming back to this primitive movement it's like Oh my gosh, it's just, it really is so simple if we just get out of ourselves, out of our way, and allow ourselves to feel.
2: It's so simply, beautifully stated by you, Nikki, that I'd say that what kind of the miracle of what happened to me when I was introduced to not only being, you know, free to move in space and in the studio, but when I started to read The Pioneers and, um, and understand that they were considering, you know, how we move and how do we care for people so they can move more freely in their body and be easier in their body. And that it is so simple because it's so holistic to include yourself in the proposition of how I'm communicating to someone and what my touch is saying to someone and what my movements are saying to, to someone that. It's those sensory channels that can be open to being in the present moment, and how that just switching that changes coordination and amplifies the kind of creaturehood we have to feel the world and to express, you know, the the express what's next and um, the slowing down because that's the journey that I think when I started to meet structural integrators, because back then it was in my um, 20s, late 20s, I heard about rolfing, but all I heard was, you know, holy smokes, I changed a lot or it hurt a lot, but then, you know, I couldn't integrate it, that it was going to hurt. But I just loved what Ida Rolf wrote about. And so, in the teaching of dance classes or the movement classes i was not afraid to even though some of the movement people would get impatient because i had to slow them down so much to receive impression to actually slow down to perceive a differentiated segment in their body to open the different channels and to wait for the non-doing of the coordination from the movement brain emerge And that's the biggest um, story that unfolds, I think, in being a structural integrator is, and to do the, the Rolf movement or movement work with people in perception, is that such a vast, big territory that feels so simple. I should be doing more. But there's nothing to do. It's allowed people to perceive more, to feel more, and to feel this response of their body um, coming home to inherent ease and starting to confront some of the patterns of rushing or overcoupled or, um, you know, repetitive things that, that need some time to be looked at from a whole different Fix it model to a um, a model of being with perception. perception. Karen, yeah,
3: I love and I use it a lot, uh, either with my clients or just internal. The, the four words I learned from you of pause in your pause.
2: Yes, exactly until a client walks out and they you know they always say well what can I do I'd say the first homework assignment I give them is pause in the pause that the hands and feet and the ramai um you know if they're sitting or wherever they are is how many times can they interrupt their quote normal flow in a conversation in the middle of a zoom meeting in the middle of a whatever and um pause in the pause and there was a period of time when i i i have a piece that i call table manners and the table manners of how you can do it at any table where you just put your hands on the table and your manners are that you're feeling the person across from you through the surface of the table and you're feeling the ground through your feet until that conversation is felt And to feel the kind of stabilizing that happens in the two directions. You know, if your tail is feeling space and a weight orientation, and if your head is belonging to the sky, how pausing in the quadruped, if you will, or the sitting quadruped paws are supporting that surface. And you get to dial back on the overreaching or the overdoing and the work there is about learning to non-do as you receive the support from the ground and the table by pausing in your pause
3: yeah now i'm going to do something i almost never do in the podcast which is bring us back on track a little bit i'm, I'm the one who's usually like let's go way off to left field um but let, let's let's go back a bit to, to to Karen and sort of this, this, this uh, unfolding of your story of what has sort of brought you, brought you yes. here, if we can.
2: Yeah, um, how did I get connected to st- Structural Integrators is um, I left my situation at Middlebury College because I was pregnant and you know had a baby, was gonna have a baby and I had that baby. And, um, and I moved to Maine And um, uh, during that time, a colleague of mine, Andrea Olson, wrote a book called The Thinking Body that was based on the course that I developed at Middlebury College um, Experiential Anatomy for Theater and Athletic Performance. So I got to have semester after semester of these wonderful students to um, try out. How to work with perception and movement, and work with their posture or their what I'd call their orientation now. So anyway, um, I had a client. Oh, I didn't. What I didn't say is because of all the teaching I was doing, all of a sudden I'd slowed down so much that I realized, you know, I'd start doing things in class for people, and I, and then people I realized I can't do this. So I had a body work practice, I didn't even know what that was, but I met with people to help them slow down the pausing in their pause and working with perception and movement and that's how all of a sudden I was seeing people individually. I had no degrees, I was not a massage therapist, I was a movement teacher who then was doing tiny movement sessions. or movement explorations and they were learning experiential anatomy but individually. Anyway, I was in Maine and um, the book had been published and um, I had a client who said to Tom Myers, oh, um, you know, did you know that Karen McCose lives, <laughs> you know, near. And so, Tom called me up and that's kind of the first rolfer that I met. And he invited me to do some teaching with him and um, Jim Oshman and Dean Juhan. And all of a sudden, I was hanging out with a whole lot of Rolfers. <laughs> and that was new. So, um, you know, I knew nothing about structural integration other than what I'd read and what I'd been practicing through movement, um, you know, doing movement education with people. And um, anyway, that just you know, changed my life. And so um, all of a sudden I was teaching a lot of movement to Rolfers or to structural integrators. And that's how I met my partner, Kevin Frank. And, um, and he seemed to be as interested in various questions about movement as much as I was because he had been studying with Hubert gadar And he said to me, um, I haven't had movement instruction. Like, it sounds like you're working with perception like Hubert does, and I see people changing and you're not touching. And that made him curious. How were people changing their motor patterns, their coordination, the sense of how they were oriented. Um, And I didn't have those kind of languages back then. But that's how we started to collaborate. And then, um, you know, I finally met Hubert and started to study with him as much as I could. And um and then I decided to join the club. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I was in my, my uh 60s. Something like that. But what? I yeah, yeah. I think I graduated from my, let me think about this. Yeah, because the the um, opportunity came to me. Kevin and I had a studio and it, the Ralph Institute was experimenting with doing an offsite training. So Duffy was living in Vermont and that's how I, I had a kind of dual um, between Duffy and Kevin was doing the movement stuff. So I got to have this wonderful training in my own studio. And um, I remember when that
0: little satellite training happened. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's how I, you know, finally joined the club. Um, But I'd been joined a long time ago, you know, just kept for, for, I guess, several decades in terms of um, taking classes with Hubert and then teaching with Kevin as we started to join our different perspectives, me with the, the evolutionary movement stuff, because I found the playful, the, a playful way, and that seemed to go with the experiential anatomy of using some of the architectural forms that have been on earth in describing a way to differentiate the axis from the girdles, differentiate the, um, the gut tube, and the organ system, and in different ways of approaching with a pause to create the stability to have more flow, to see the tonic function functioning in the gravity response. So I I I was um, passionate about that.
3: Karen, Karen, when I when I hear like some of those words, like especially evolutionary. Um, the movements, my first thought is or my first impulse is to think of continuum, in which I know uh-huh. you're influenced by by continuum or, or, or maybe not influenced, but connected through continuum. Is that where is that where the for you, is that where the evolutionary stuff came in, or is that later? No, how
2: the evolutionary came in because um, when I was at Middlebury, my dear friend and colleague Andrea wrote a grant for me to go study with Bonnie Cohen because she was seeing me teach my class and my classes and what I was offering. And she said, you know, you should go study with Bonnie Cohen. And so um, anyway, I got a grant to go, you know, to take a two week course with her. And then I ended up doing a lot of study with her. And I loved the developmental movement. And I kept pestering. Um, Um, Bonnie for questions that had to do with creatures because I was a kind of nature geek. I mean, I just love being outside and moving in the woods or the forest or the oceans. And so, Bonnie gave me this gift and said, you know, I don't know the answer to that question, but why don't you discover it on your own? (laughs) So, you know, again, then I go to the bookstore, the university bookstores and buy a couple of books and I just start diving in with reading various um, aspects of how, um, you know, invertebrates and and a book on, um, you know, creatures before that and creatures after with the spine and just start, you know, for me, well, let's go try it out in the body. So I then started to develop my own sense of um, the fluid movement and so cellular activity. So I was really on to moving with fluids through the metaphor of using we're a single cell and rolling and pouring because that was nothing new to me because I spent a lot of time rolling and pouring on different surfaces in nature and as you yield into that and you let fluid differentiate until you're just particles. You feel this enormous adaptability arise that's always in a toady potential possibility to yield and flow. So, I think of um, movement and fluid movement. I was moving in that way and I also had a partnership with another Um, friend and colleague way back where we were teaching a course that was called (laughs) Resonant Kinesiology, but it was basically how to attend to people through sound, movement, and touch. And the phrase that was really with this is what's willing to meet me now. So it's a way of communicating and a, a way of attending to our fluid nature and vibrational nature and our contact, you know, in our, with our bodies to otherness. And so that was this whole other element that when I moved to Maine and then met um, Kevin, and then I started to hear about Continuum. And then actually, I was working with a therapist personally, who was really into Continuum. And um, I think Susan came out to Maine and and did a workshop through Gail and another role for Gail Ogren or Rosewood and um, Emily would come to Boston so you know that just felt like home to me that's how the continuum came in so there was the experiential anatomy and then there was you know moving in nature and um, yeah those threads kind of came together with then joining the club, but never, uh, but never leaving this home in movement and fluid movement and perception and pausing in the pause to feel is how so much shifting can happen in which the client assumes some of the responsibility, <laughs> which demands that they show up and attend um, and feel that they're capable and help them empowered enough to to um, begin to notice their experience in the uncomfortable and the possibilities for how we might begin to make contact to that in terms of how they could participate besides be supported through an offering from a practitioner
0: and i think what you just said about empowering the client and help in you know kind of in a way demanding them to show up yes is so profound and also can be so frustrating when you're trying to to help clients be empowered in the in the sense that they you know as Rolfers we we have the skills to kind of help nudge and kind of show the way but really, you know, with the clients, it is, you know, the way I kind of see my role is to empower, yes. you know, I love having my, you know, regular clients. But after a while, I'm like, okay, it's time for you to kind of feel it, go experience, own it, and yeah. then we can kind of come back together. But I I know, like, I've had multiple practices, and one was in New York City for quite some time. And there was, it was interesting to and it was and it was scary too as a practitioner to because in a way it feels like a foreign language to some people and be like you have to feel your vessel yourself and and yeah. you know there's some people that are like uh uh-uh, uh I'm paying you you're gonna fix me <laughs> and it's just like well I can do so much but really for long lasting changes it's like you're the person the being in this body
2: mm-hmm. you
0: have ultimate you know, authority of how it's going to move and how you're going to present and how you're going to show up, and um, yeah, it's I, I I really value what you know
2: saying. I I so again appreciate how you're because um, that's probably the biggest question that I get asked is how do you how do you begin to do these oh so simple things with people and that whole question and. Um, again, have had lots of time to negotiate and um, work with that. And I'd say the first layering of that is when I was teaching, you know, just a dance teacher, um, is that because of that experience with my original teacher, in which I started right off improvising and forming, that um, I believed that If you can, you know, there's an an African proverb, if that's true, that says, if you can um, talk, you can sing. If you can walk, you can dance. And so um, to get people to feel freely to express themselves creatively in movement and not just repeat, that's something you have to titrate with people because I taught, again, thousands of classes all over the world in which people are comfortable and uncomfortable with that. And how do you empower someone as you start off with three seconds of a frame that someone can start to take responsibility for moving creatively or within themselves as it translated to perceptual work so that it comes in these little doses and then they're slowly growing their capacity to sustain a self-awareness that may bump into other things that are uncomfortable, like I really do have to slow down or I start to run into what I might be holding in my body emotionally, psychologically, and so on and so forth. So that's a, a delicate dance. And what I love about structural integration and teaching movement is that um that it's formed in little bits that someone can then begin to learn how to um, have the containment of the goals of let's say the sessions or changing how one starts to move and be easier in one body and then you have more flow. And as I think Kevin likes to say, you start to interrupt the interruptions to flow and inherent easeful movement. And so um, it's a long journey. It's a very big journey to work with that interval that you're talking about, Nikki, and I've just learned to know, okay, there's people that don't want to go there because they're not ready. There's people that want to go there, but they need it titrated. And then, and for me, that just has to hold and find the right amount of demand that feels appropriate for them to show up. And so it goes and some go away and then they come back and say, you know what? I wasn't ready, but now I'm ready. So it goes all those different ways, as I'm sure you know, to um, to see what's willing to meet you. <laughs> and then, well, and, and I, yeah.
3: Yeah, and one, one thing I'm gonna sort of play it back in the way that I hear it and please say yes or no or other. Well, uh, the answer, and it really depends as always with the finger. right, is it depends. It depends on every person. But part of what now I'm hearing it is when you or when we meet the client, we are, we're meeting them again first from our, our nervous system to nervous system and we're getting an idea of this person likely is ready to go a little further. This person likely isn't, and and wherever they are, we're just slowly saying, okay, they they aren't because they're at this isn't really how it is, but I've conceptualized it. They're yep. at a ninety eight percent. They're at a ninety eight percent holding. So I'm gonna meet. I'm gonna give them ninety seven percent holding, and that one percent, a little less, they're gonna they're gonna feel, and it might take longer for them to be ready, but that's because they're lived experience has taught them to not be ready or taught them to to be holding because they're not ready it gets a little perspective based and and yeah. i try to somewhat get away from that but again words uh, yes. so we're just slowly saying all right you know this person has this armoring, has this holding and i'm going to show them almost exactly the same but like one brick less in the wall something along that lines and this other person has like Almost no bricks, so I can have more fluidity within that. Is that sort of
2: yes? And like thank that? you, thank you for for that language differentiation about the not ready. Because what it's really is that the any behavior that people do is serving them, and that's the place that I want to meet people. Is with all behavior um, is founded in preservation. And that's a good thing, and how we begin to, you know, meet that situation is a very precious piece of relationship. One of my very very early
0: um, takeaways from my training with Lale King and Monica Kaspari was mm-hmm. what limit. Well, What was um, often what limits, uh, limits us also serves us. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I I say that often to clients who start to like throw some like harsh judgment or negativity on why they hold their body in certain ways or this and that. I'm like, listen, you know, your shoulders, they came up for a reason. Yes. And it served you. Otherwise, our bodies wouldn't do it. Our bodies are brilliant that way. But but then we have to kind of, you know, dial back a bit and be like, okay, my shoulders don't need to be up 24 seven. They can come down. Or whatever postural deviation that they've taken on. Yes,
2: I I did the um, somatic experiencing training I think about 20 years ago, something like that. And it was so helpful in um, illuminating more specifically the um, nuance of the nervous system and appreciation for again, behaviors we do so, so served, we served us in situations and, and are we ready to update our files in terms of what might serve us better at a particular time in one's life? And again, beginning the journey of that through Rolf movement and structural integration.
0: I was gonna ask you, and I was afraid that it might be too much of, um, uh diversion, but I was going to ask you with what your knowledge and experience is with somatic um, inquiries, because we were talking, we've been kind of talking a lot about movement and structure, Mm -hmm. but as we also know, a lot of our structure is shaped by our experiences, whether they're amazing, wonderful experiences or traumatic and in your wealth of knowledge, what could you share about how our movements are shaped or our somatic being our somatic experiencing,
2: how that shapes our movement? Well, <clears throat> I certainly know from my own journey and, and being with lots of others that in my own journey, there were some significant events that happened early on for me and then at various intervals that were incredibly overwhelming for me and um, that probably contributed in terms of my learning process, (laughs) Um, uh, you know, that were not optimum. And um, as I've learned to befriend those aspects of myself and behaviors that I I, um, learned and were are still operating. Um, to continue to meet that with kindness and understanding, it was serving me, and I, I just feel that's part of the holism that's possible in working with structural integration and with touch and um, the series, or with with movement. That if we're attuned to that possibility and to the whole safety of how much someone can show up with what they're meeting at intervals or in a session that there is much more of a holistic presence if we're including an awareness of how the nervous system is regulating or what events might have created interruptions. And um, just understanding it and know how to be with that in oneself, as one is with that, with another. So I, in my work, in terms of how that is, you know, they're, they um, at this point, I can't separate the somatic experiencing <laughs> from the sense of attending to someone. It's in, you know, if I'm teaching a movement class or I'm doing a session, a rolfing session with someone, that it's always present in the whole picture. And um, yeah, it it just feels like it's part of the backing that I had to come to be informed by and and work with and (laughs) then apply that. I would love to hear from all the wealth of information you have from,
0: from, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, this is like, you were born and this is, you're destined to be in this for the audience. And I would love to hear from collectively of all your experience. How would you define somatic experiencing?
2: Mm. Hold on. I'm going to need a moment to feel into this, Um,
3: I'm going to ask you, Nikki, to clarify a little bit just to maybe also help Karen. Are you talking about somatic experiencing strictly as Peter Levine somatic experiencing? No, that's why, because
0: I want to use, because I feel like you have been in, you said you did the training, but I feel like you have probably been tapped into kind of a little bit of, you're already speaking some of your language I, yes. that I would like yeah. to know your definition, not that someone could Google and get it. Yes. Because yes I you. think your definition no. will offer a lot of influences from all the brilliance that you've been exposed to yeah. in teaching.
2: Yes. Thank you. Cause I thought you meant the SE world, which, you know, I'm a participant of, but I was very aware, way back in that resonant kinesiology training. I just again didn't have the language or even the science that's been coming out. Um, I think it's it's a balance of feeling words that are spoken that are coming from um that you have an awareness of the um your body is speaking, that the voice is coming from all, whether you're trembling, whether you're frightened, whether you're whatever you are, um, the representation of that experience that your body's included, that the body always has something to say, it's whether we're going to shut up to listen to it (laughs) or whether we're going to include that on a regular basis to know when we're not present in in one's body to sensation that um, we can learn to communicate and be with others and be in representational and non-cortical animal body if you will or or um, uh, movement body that the whole flesh of oneself and the whole flesh of the experience are 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 together
3: I like i don't know if the flesh was intentional to relate to Merlo ponty's flesh uh, phenomenology yeah yes. yeah and i, I, I yes I, I appreciate that and and i'll say there's something sort of adding on to that where, where and i forgot if i mentioned this with you and kevin when i saw you last month there's this thing i sort of am working with where more or less the body is non-dual and the mind is, is dual. And it's the mind that is labeling and, and, and creating these narratives of the experience. You when know, we can get out of that and be in the embodied bodily experience. There is no label, there's just pure experience. There's just pure body, there's just pure life that's allowing us to, to mix with other aspects of life until the mind comes in and says, oh, pain, or oh, arm, or oh, story, story, story. And when as we work through the you know, various ways, but the ways that you've mentioned or that you found we drop into this, or we have ability to drop into this non-dual presence place of just experience, which is the soma, right? The, the lived body experience, not the corporal, the dead body experience. Right. Is that that a way of sort of sharing? It's
2: beautiful, Andrew. Yes, I I feel that um, it just is so rich and perturbing. I'll use an Emily Conrad used to, you know, being perturbated um, to some of the information we get from here and the choices that we struggle with when we listen to what our nervous system or different aspects of our, our being is saying. saying. Um, but it's the, the full catastrophe, as Zorba says, you know, <laughs> of, of being alive in a body on this planet. And um, of course, with the intense challenges that are facing us now, environmentally and socially, um, it's, it's a very big story. And I think we need all of our resourcing and potential to be collaborating in this question. Somatically, it's a somatic question. (laughs) The challenge of somatic um, adventures and um, misadventures.
3: Does that answer your question, Nikki?
2: It does. Um, no, I just I like to ask
0: that, especially with our our movement um, guests, because because I think it's so rich, and I also again I feel like with any with the body can be complicated, and I think it it's um, so it no, I, I just enjoy hearing the the greater definition, especially from someone like you who is so has been so entrenched in this world for so long that getting a different kind of perspective on the definition, that's beyond something that can be Googled. And um, because I think with just from how we started this podcast, we all learned differently. So we're going to hear things differently. And I, you know, I think, you know, Andrew and I's big motivation behind this podcast is for education and for the greater world of structural integration, not just our Rolf Rolf community, Rolf Institute community. Or sorry, Dr. Ida Rolf Institute. Um, So so yeah, so I appreciate just you taking that time and if it felt risky. Thank you.
3: And Karen, can I I'm gonna put words in your in your mouth and please tell me I'm I'm wrong again. But if if you had been asked that question in a in a in a classroom or in an environment where you had more time and more space, I have a sense that your answer would be almost less verbal and more more question. Okay, I want you to do that, or more experiential. Yeah, and, and have people to actually to yeah yeah okay that's
2: yeah yeah yes. Super I'd cool. set yeah. up an an exercise you know a perceptual exploration in which um, we would hold the question. There would be a little dive, if you will, a time to explore that that consideration. And then people would report and I would pause them if they're in their pause, if they were getting too um, representational and losing the sense of being informed by sensation as one speaks. Is this possibly a workshop? coming up. (laughs) Um, I hope so, Nikki, because it's it's so um, talking to you and Andrew um, and your your greater your your goal here in offering what can help us in the world from a somatic perspective and from from many different perspectives is, yeah, let's do it. (laughs) Happy to host you here in Boulder. Okay. Well, believe me, Kevin and I are on the loose now. I don't know if you know, you know, we're kind of homeless right now. So we're, um, we're getting to that point. We've had a year off where, you know, we, as much as we'd like a home, we realize, well, you know, we're not doing anything. Um, let's, let's do some workshops. Well,
3: so. we, we will, we'll share, um, you know, your website and people can, join in you know, a contact you directly or join a mailing list to to, okay. to get contact and to, to start to share and to sort of say hey how can we how can we grow or, or do this or share this and what or whatnot. Um and I wanna I wanna I know we're gonna run out of time soon, but I wanna maybe put this as a I don't we're not gonna have an answer for this. I don't oh I don't know. But what I'm so curious about and what I'm drawn to is this sense of what I just shared, sort of sharing what I perceived you would do as, a, as an answer was, was, was nowhere really in my mind. It was a feeling in my body, a response in my body from being here in conversation uh, with you through perceptual awareness, uh, because we're not in the same room, you know, uh, we are in the same time zone, but there is this, you know, and so how or why I'm mean, is it that there is this sense and then, and then uh, things shift and, again, words get in the way, but there is this resonance bef- before any of the cerebral comes in that just has this rich answer. Or
2: I love like that, that topic, Andrew, and I just realized what struck me as, wow, usually, you know, this would be maximum anxiety for me, talking to someone. <laughs> Um, you know, there's no, <laughs> you know, I can't hang upside down and all this stuff. But I I feel um the again that flesh fullness that I feel I feel so safe with both of you to to be more of who I am, which is, you know, that you're that you are also here and and where all this body talk is included in the conversation. That we're feeling with our words as our words are feeling with our bodies. And so there's an inner communication of that holistic connection. And then it manifests in um instantly in terms of how we feel with each other. It's I think it's the kind of contagion. Even if there's difficulties and challenges to meet differences that um, support with, and the practices of these practices that help us be in that flesh fullness and rich communication uh, to find our way.
3: Yeah, and I, I think that ties a little into earlier where you know, I think about what are we doing on the table? Are we pushing tissue this and that? And where is it that, that growth really happens? and for me right now it's it's really like similar you were saying you, you Kevin saw you making changes without even without even touching people and similar and I shared this with you I started to practice without even touching people and just being in resonance and creating a uh, a place of, of safety uh, and, and the touch is fine too but that that safety is is the ground of which growth can happen or unwinding can happen at first we 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 need that that safe environment that safe mm-hmm. safe whatever as a as a place from from which anything anything can transform.
2: Here, here, I I realized that you know when I felt my usual anxiety, you know, and the way it manifests in my body, but how um what I spoke that I wanted the emergent form actually. Um, felt so it, it it was just pleasurable to speak to both of you because of that safety and curiosity to what's willing to arise from our interest and learning from each other. What's up? What's happening?
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and for for me, it's it's. When I'm in conversation, in some regards, I almost never want it to end. I want to swim in the sea for so long. Uh, And I also sort of feel that what you said is almost a really nice way of of bringing in closure and and wrapping up the conversation for today. You know, for today, I don't know if the conversation ever really stops but for well, today
0: it's curious that you said that i like that because i feel like the conversation will keep on going because i will uh, right after this i'm doing actually a zoom rolf movement session and i'm so excited Mickey, because, no. <laughs> yeah so nope. i'm definitely going to be using if you don't mind borrowing the pause and the pause and go for already it already
2: let I'm me know to, how it goes.
0: Yes. Yeah, well, the, this client that she's going to get me out, like, I, you know, I, especially with Zooms, you kind of come up with a little bit of a plan because you don't have the touch and that, that ability. But I'm also, I'm so excited to kind of go into a Zoom somatic experience and be like, we're taking everything that I've learned from you and just that conversation and just like the feeling because while this has been such a weird medium to kind yes. of especially for body workers and you know movement educators and things i also find it fascinating and also again i'm trying to always kind of figure out the takeaways and like the things that were really terrible like the pandemic and terrible time to be in the touch business because of fear of being touched and all that but it's been wild to feel to have that experience of still like a it's I think it's what I'm getting at is SOMA is so much in languaging and how that is not lost in Zoom and how you still can have a very embodied experience different I'm careful to judge it because I feel like I've had some amazing I did a whole somatic movement um, movement certification during the pandemic And it was so moving and yeah, when we weren't in a classroom and didn't get to have that, but you got to see all these windows of bodies moving and things. So um, so yeah, I'm just excited. I will be carrying on this conversation after we close here with with what we've been talking
2: about. Yum. Yum
3: yum. And Nikki, I'm going to say just for trademarks, let's call it a somatic process instead of a somatic experience or another word, just because I don't want to get sued later on.
0: Oh, OK. All right. Because we're like on a computer and it's a processor.
3: No, 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 because because it's because the somatic, somatic is Experiencing
2: is trademarked. Got it. Right. So right. anyway, but and I think we could will I think we should cogitate on this and come up with and I'm, I've been looking for what is an emergent worm, worm, worm. That's maybe it. <laughs> <Word>.
0: It depends <laughs> the on the rain. If warm, it rains, wormy. the worm emerges.
2: Right. I don't know, but I, I, it, I do have a question of of um, what could be another word for representing this felt sense of experience that we, have the three of us, have had and that can happen that eliminates the spatial. You know, we're communicating, we're in resonance, and stuff happens. It's a miracle.
3: Yeah, a gestalt might be one of the words of
2: it. -hmm.
3: Anyways, we would get stuck in words for days, and then we would be all up in here and not in our bodies. So uh, let's just uh, have some time in our bodies. And um, (laughs) I'm really, you know, always grateful to be in conversation with you, Karen. Whenever I, actually, whenever I, I have conversation or any sort. I always message Layla. I'll give a shout out to her and just say, "Oh, I, you know, I talked to Kevin or Karen," and she's always like, oh, excited! You know what? What happened? Tell me everything." Uh, and so, you know, it's I'm really happy to share you and ideologies and experiences of you with a greater, uh, a greater good. It's it's really a, an honor uh, and and a, and a it's a gift that gives itself back in ways. So, thank you for being here.
2: Thank you. Thank you. you. You're welcome. And it's lovely to meet you, Nikki. Likewise. I will um I'm definitely
0: going to find my I've been wanting to get into one of your workshops, but um it just was kind of a a feat to get in that direction. But since y'all are road
2: tripping, maybe you (laughs) want to come out here. Okay, we we would.
3: Yeah, and and there is a good, there's a great book that both Kevin and her re- have written, uh, wrote, I don't know the past tense word, and I can share a link of that on, on here for people to find, because you can get it on Amazon, or you can do what I did and just message Kevin and drive up one day and say, hey, I want to get your book. Um,
2: yeah, I got uh, some in the container. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Our stuff is in a container, uh, but it's easy access.
3: <laughs> yeah, so we, we, we can link that. Thanks again, Karen, and have a beautiful
2: day out there. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. You're welcome. Deep pleasure, and uh, I'll see you again sometime. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. Bye. Be well. Bye. Bye. Bye.
1: Thanks for listening to us at Touching Into Presence. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. You can find out more about Karen at ResourcesAndMovement.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate if you'd leave a positive review of the podcast and subscribe to it through the platform of your choice. When you do this, it really helps other people find us and we greatly appreciate your support. We look forward to hearing back from you and seeing you on our next conversation at Touching Into Presence. Thanks and bye-bye.